I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to It Never Gets Old, a firsthand account of all things secondhand and sustainable. I am your host, Meredith Feynman, and I created this podcast after obsessively buying and selling used clothing for 20 years and decided to start to share my tips. It's been an amazing year. Thank you so much to all of the new listeners. We were featured on Apple Podcasts, which might be how you ended up here. And because of that, since we have so many wonderful new INGO listeners, I wanted to do a best of since we've been doing this project since April. So what you'll be hearing over the next 45-ish minutes will be some of my favorite clips, some of Sarah, my amazing producer's favorite clips. We're wishing you a happy holidays from our family to yours and can't wait for you to listen. A lot of people ask me, you know, when should I sell things? That really matters. If you're going to try to sell a pair of sandals in the winter, they're going to go for half of what they would sell for in the spring or summer. You need to think about things seasonally. Some IRL stores will only buy for certain seasons. So then you know, hey, you know, we're buying for fall. Come bring your fall stuff in August. But if you're selling online, keep in mind that you will get less money for something that's not currently in season. Now, um, from, again, somebody who lives in Los Angeles where there are very few seasons. I mean, yeah, you no, know, no seasons. It's, you know, it's a little <laughs> colder than it would be in the summer, but for the most part, sandals year round. How do I deal with the fact that somebody who might be buying what I want to sell is in a climate where seasons actually matter? Yeah, I mean, it's important to take that into account unless you are in Southern California where it is, you know, 70 and sunny every single day with no clouds in the sky and it rains one time and then everyone has a meltdown. Um, <laughs> Just very you know, true. Yeah. Exactly well, that's happens. why I, I said to you, when I when I go to Los Angeles, I take advantage of that fact. Um, coats, unbelievable coats are so much less expensive in LA because people can't wear them and right. consignment they're not in high really demand. Sell them. Even if yeah, they're, they're really not nice. in high demand. Yeah. And I think you think about those things too, particularly, you know, people from all over the world are buying different things at different times, but generally you need to conceive of your wardrobe as having seasons. So, you know, spring and summer, you know, kind of hot, hotter, or fall, winter, cold, colder. Um, and that is something that 
that will make an impact uh, on the price point that you can really sell something. Now, obviously, there are things that transcend that, like bags, certain shoes, but but seasonal is important when you think about selling. So then it's about, you know, all right, I've decided I want to sell things. This is the right time of year. How many items should you ever sell at once? For me, I'm selling very few items at once because all I do is buy and sell clothing, so it's never a huge haul. Um, Sometimes when I'm at Buffalo Exchange, I see people wheel in suitcases. Those are great ways to transport your goods if you're going to sell them in real life. I would start with a couple pieces if you're wading into this territory, and I will get into how you divide up those pieces. But one thing I want to make clear is how crucial dry cleaning and cleaning your clothing ahead of time is. If you talk to buyers, and we'll be talking to buyers on this podcast, you know, cleanliness and condition makes a tremendous difference when it comes to what something is going to be priced at. But it can also make a huge difference when you're selling yourself online is how something is presented. If you have an equipment top and it's a little wrinkly and it looks a little sad on a hanger um, versus fresh out of the dry cleaning, you know, the price point, you're, you're, making this marketable. And we will talk more extensively about how to be that online salesperson, how to maximize your sales. But stuff like that really matters. If there's a tiny stain, you know, the price is going to drop by 75%. I was just in New York and I bought a beautiful J.W. Anderson top, who's a very expensive designer that I love. And I noticed it had, it looked like a coffee stain on it. And it was $35. This is like a I have a $500 top. J.W. Anderson is expensive. And I bought it for $35 and I took it to the dry cleaner. It came out. Had that person done that first, they would have gotten more money. Yeah. 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 And I would have paid a lot more money for it. Well, sort of for anybody who's like, okay, well, I'm new to this world. Think of it as like staging a house. If you if you want to sell your house and it's a great house and you don't stage it properly it's going to sell for less money than the well-staged house. It's, you know, it's, totally. it's, it's, it, it doesn't really change anything about the foundation of the house and it wouldn't change anything about that shirt that you bought. But there is something about putting uh, your best foot forward uh, as far as uh, clothes go that I, that I can imagine, especially somebody who's buying a bunch of stuff out of your suitcase. If you look like you've dry cleaned it and pressed everything and really made an effort, they're going to take you more seriously. And we will get sort of some specific tips from buyers that I am good friends with on how you should be presenting your things when you're selling them. But yes, it is like staging a house for your bod. So how do you even find a consignment store, vintage store, thrift store? Honestly, Yelp has is great. Um, you, you can always Google around. Google's fine, but I have found, so Yelp has two categories for this. It has, you look up luxury consignment near you. That's one category. And then they have used consignment and vintage. Those are the two categories that I typically look at whenever I get somewhere, I pull up Yelp. It's funny, when I was also in Tel Aviv and I found one secondhand shop, but Yelp doesn't work in Israel. I know that there are certain varying tech restrictions, but that was a bummer because Yelp 
has helped me in Austin. It's helped me in Paris, in New York, in Los Angeles. And it's also often just one of the first results on Google. If you're, when I was in Mexico City, which I was last week, it was a very recent trip. It wasn't just consignment stores I was looking for. In fact, I wasn't really looking for anything in particular, but eh, looking for food near me. And those sorts of very, very simple searches you'd get Yelp results that were often not always super helpful, but often were. Yeah. And, you know, look up those stores and then go to the ones first with the most number of reviews, because that just is a level of engagement and an indicator that a lot of people are going there. I mean, I I don't think I've I wrote I'm not proud of this, but I wrote (laughs) one not nice Yelp review one time. Um, Oh, I've written a few of those. Yeah, (laughs) But I should probably start writing some good ones about consignment stores I love because I know it means a lot to small business. Well, and as somebody who if you write a really nice review, of course, most of the time the negative reviews are fueled by, you know, we we like have hatred and passion in our hearts because we had a bad experience. Right. So you get a lot of bad reviews. But the good review, you might just sort of not really want to go through the trouble, but then me as the next person reading it, so helpful. Totally. And just the more reviews, the better. A lot of these are like little shops run by older people with a few little items. So please call ahead or <laughs> or I would say call. A lot of these places don't even use email. I mean, it, it's we're, we're going real old school. Um, but consignment stores have like bank hours, except never. They're like, we're open from Wednesday to Thursday from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, so like there have been a lot of cases. I remember I was trying to do this in Florida on a press trip and all the consignment stores closed at 3 p.m. And I was like, but why? And yeah, so that's my first question is it, it goes back to a conversation we had in our previous episode is you know, are are some of these stores just hobbies for people who don't right. really need to move merch? Because anyone who's trying to run a, a really solid business will say, well, you can't just not be open when you say you're open. You can't just close at three. That's crazy. People are working. Yeah. I mean, it's so so it's really sort of pretty old school. It's like, you know, how bank hours keep getting smaller and smaller. Right. And that's it is driving a lot of people online. It's certainly not working in any of these stores favors, but they do have peculiar hours. A lot of them are, you know, closed on a month, like closed on a Monday, closed on a Tuesday. I don't know. It's it varies store to store. So I wouldn't want you to look up a place and go there to find it closed because it's very disappointing. Now let's talk into talk about, you know, walking into one and salespeople. I don't know, Sarah, when you're in a store, do you like when, you know, salespeople, do you like being helped by salespeople? Do you find that it's annoying? Well, as somebody who can be stranger adverse, <laughs> not just when Join I'm shopping, but just all of the time. Yeah, don't Join look at, don't look me in the eye. Uh, yeah. I, I do find it mostly annoying. I understand having worked in retail when I was in college that that's their Where did job. you work? I worked at a natural bedding store in the Marina District in San Francisco. So we sold like hemp sheets and so ahead of its time very, casper, yeah, lots, casper lots of, is shook lots of raffia and some candles <laughs> it was it, the store smelled really good but i was a bad salesperson because when i'd say hi can i help you find something today you looking for something in particular and someone says nope i go okay because that's what <laughs> i want them to do to me so i was right. i was you know retail was was not going to be in my future i do find that if you really are looking for something and that is Definitely happened. Uh, For example, 
if you've got a, I don't know, a bridesmaid's dress that has to be in a certain color. It's like, sometimes I don't want to spend a week looking for this. I just want to go into a store that I know I like and have somebody pull some stuff for me because they can see that I'm small and maybe they know where the, you know, extra small navy blue dress is in the back that I might take 20 minutes to find myself. That's great. When I'm browsing for the most part, I kind of say, you know, gently at first, no, I'm good, just browsing. And if they still don't kind of back off, I go, I'm going to let you know if I need help, okay? And they sort of go, okay. Yeah, well, this is to say that salespeople in consignment and vintage stores are often your friend, even if sometimes because they're not making these commissions, they don't care about helping you. A lot of them do. It, the people that work in consignment stores, this is a, a passion for them. Otherwise, it, it doesn't really make sense. So like a lot of the they they and they deeply, deeply know the inventory because a lot of times they're buying it they're and they're bringing it in um, from right. people that sell it. So right. exactly. This is not yeah working at the gap where there's 400 of the same T-shirt and maybe they need another size that's in the back. And it's it's really sort of about volume. This is somebody who is is there because they really want to be and they want to help you. And I would walk in and name some designers. I've done that before. Or, you know, say like, hey, I'm really looking for a black dress. I really like these three designers. What do you got? I got scammed, rightfully so. Uh, I tried to buy a Chanel bag off of someone offline, which means, you know, I saw it on a site and then we got into messaging interpersonally, in which case you're totally fucked because you have no protections of any of these sites and you shouldn't do it. And yeah, I would like $1,200 back. Wow, yeah. you're kidding yeah. me. Oh, man. Well, I know, and I'm a fucking idiot and Zell has no protections for consumers, but um, I also, what was I going to say? Like, It was a very frustrating situation and I was a dum-dum. So don't be a dum-dum like me. If you're going to buy a Chanel bag. So the takeaway is keep it within uh, a site that has good return policies and, and some protections because because once you're on your own, then it's that more likely that the money is just literally getting burned in a fire. Yeah, so I hope that whoever that is enjoyed a couple months of rent or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, fuck you. But no, I mean, so apparently this China rule is because of the number of, I mean, Chanel is probably the most replicated brand, aka fakes. Mm -hmm. China's fakes are wild. China's fakes are so, I mean, we're going to talk about this in another episode. I'm fascinated by the wide world of fake bags and other fake things at this point. But, you know, China's fake Louis Vuitton is so good that people buy the fake instead of the real because the quality is better, which is nuts. It is nuts. So. You got to be really careful. In 1990s, Chanel started putting holograms in bags. So it always has to have a hologram. You need to make sure that. So let's do like a couple basic things if you're thinking about buying a Chanel bag. One, stick with a site. Two, figure out the return policy and or authentication policy. If you're really going to spend your money, it's a lot of money. I remember I did the Bloomingdale's marketing and buying program in college and I remember I the, the 59th Street store, Bloomingdale's, has a Chanel boutique in it. And my mom came up and bought the classic 2.55 caviar pebbled leather. And it was still like $2,100, which now that bag is like $5,000. It's an insane amount of money. Sarah, you're so lucky you never got into this. Like, I got into really nice bags for a minute, but it ended up, it's not a, it's not the best decision, let me tell you. 
I mean, I had a knockoff Kate Spade bag at one point, Mare. So you can see oh, how, I did too. how low I did too. how low I can sink, no problem. Because I was like, oh, it's kind of cute. I like the checker interior. So yeah, that's <laughs> the 2.55 bag. I'm imagining it. I, I haven't Googled it because I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying your description of everything. But I think I know what bag you're talking about. You do. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's like, I'm... I'm I I could use a lot of a lot of education in this realm. Yeah, so I mean listen, it's a major purchase. Listen, they do hold value. Like again, like figuring out why these brands hold value, talking about craftsmanship, you know, I'm going to speak to someone about like why these brands hold value to get some more perspective. So you can always sell it. However, it is a big investment and even if you are going to sell it you got to be careful. So I, I went, I've gone into very fancy bags and then back again because I like to put sandwiches in my purse. Mm-hmm. I have, I, I'm, I'm, I have hypoglycemia. And that's like not a euphemism. You put food <laughs> no. in your purse. <laughs> well, you know, like, you know, I, I don't ever trust anyone else to feed me. Like, I never don't have a purse sandwich. Like, I'll be out here with Celine bags with like a, a you know, turkey sandwich in my bag. It's just who I am as a person. Um, hey, purses are meant to carry things, even when they're nice. I support you. I don't, I trust no bitch when it comes to feeding me. So I always have a purse sandwich. So always have a purse sandwich. But no, now I'm into, you know, still a couple hundred dollars, but less so because I also like to throw my shit around. I had a friend that just got an Hermes bag and she's like, I feel like a new parent. I'm like, well, if you can't put a sandwich in it, that should be your litmus test. <laughs> That's your purse litmus test. Yeah. How... How much are you willing to spend while still keeping your sandwich safe? Kim Kardashian's original hustle was selling stuff on eBay. Uh, She was flipping stuff on eBay. This is before she was famous. She was about 15 years old. She was buying and selling handbags, and that's how she made money. And that's pretty, that's crazy to me. And this is something that you would know, but how do you know that? Is Is this something that she has said in an interview somewhere? I remember, well, obviously anything secondhand in our consignment is going to, you know, pop into my brain. But, you know, the Kardashians have become a monstrosity and a juggernaut that I don't really support anymore, though I do support the hustle. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Kim is someone, whether it was organizing Paris Hilton's closet or buying and selling stuff on eBay, like she always has had hustles. And I'm trying to remember... She gave it, told in some interview, but she had this hustle in high school where she would get on eBay and she would sell stuff. But eBay was the original place to buy things from celebrities. I mean, you can buy like signed headshots and like really original like celebrity paraphernalia, but the Kardashians for a very long time have sold their things on eBay. Um, And it's usually all... Uh, if not the majority for charity. That's another element of this that, you know, celebrities now are kind of like, well, I want to make money on my wardrobe too. Like, you know, I make a lot of money and I might be rich, but like that doesn't mean I don't want to make more money. And there are fewer celebrities selling it, you know, just for charity. Right. So that's something that's always happened on eBay, but I've been watching, and one reason why I wanted to talk about this was I've been watching this evolve and I think someone, you know, free ideas uh, for, for an INGO listener, uh, I really think someone is going to blow out the space of buying directly from celebrity closets. There are lots of different piecemeal places, which I'll get into, where you can look for stuff from people you like. But I think that there is a huge opportunity there. But again, you know, 
privacy, it, it sort of depends on how famous you are. But okay, yeah, if you're if you are going to sell me a dress, Kim Kardashian is selling me a dress, right? I've I've I have some sort of an avenue to 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 buy this dress secondhand. I'm not going to her house. I mean, what is really the danger of there being a network in place for this to happen? And because so little privacy now exists, yeah. and we want to be celebrities, we want to be influencers, we want to dress like them. We might literally want to be wearing their clothing. That like, so I have one piece from someone very famous, very very famous fashion influencer. Uh, Chiara Faragni, who is an Italian fashion designer, influencer, one of the OG like fashion bloggers. Um, she's huge. And I bought uh, from her Depop, which is what she uses. And I'll talk, I mean, I'm going to get into the different platforms that I see different people using, but she uses Depop, which is very European. Mm-hmm. Um, and she sold this insane Olympia Latan clutch uh which is olympia latan makes these like very limited run of uh clutches that are shaped like books and they're very very expensive and and kiara was selling one that was a collaboration with keith herring the amazing artist uh and i'm not sure that they even went on sale for real or how many of them they made but it's this really really cool piece and it was 400 euro um, and they retail for like $2,000 and it was from her closet. And I think it's really cool. She maybe wore it once. I mean, that's the other thing we're talking about here is like a lot of this stuff has been worn once, if not, not at all. Right. And you mentioned that she's she's extremely well known, a huge influencer, very famous in, in a certain space. One would think that a lot of these folks don't have a ton of time to do this themselves. And so there's probably this consignment stylist person uh, job uh, 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 description that happens more often than not. Kim Kardashian is not sitting at the computer doing all of this herself. Somebody, right. somebody no. she's paying somebody to do it for her. A hundred percent. So the bigger you are, though, there are some like randos that I'll get into who's like Poshmarks or like tradesy accounts. I just like die over because they're hilarious and I find them incredibly interesting. And like just so like in the same way that I remember one of my favorite podcasts, Who Weekly, like one of the hooligans uncovered like public Venmo, like a lot of Venmo is public. You could see like transactions between celebrities. Like it's just some weird peak into their world that like is a little bit different from looking at them on Instagram or looking at them on Twitter or watching, a, you know, something they've done. Uh, it's just a like funny little slice of life and and shows a lot about who they are because this is the stuff you're wearing and the stuff you're selling. Well, and it's very personal, too. It's like some years ago, my mom and I wandered into a, a fancy open house here in L.A., and we were in the house, and people still lived there, so it was it was not really staged. It was actually still being lived in. We're kind of looking around, and we were like, "Why are there so many pictures of Oliver Stone in this house?" And we eventually realized it was his house. He, he he wasn't there, and you know, I don't really think of Oliver Stone when I think of consignment, <laughs> but but it was the sort of thing where I was like, it it became instantly extremely personal, yeah. you know, like the the washcloth in the in the bathroom and some of the art on the walls and silverware and so i think that clothing is is extremely personal i mean that was on someone's person yeah and i think that like that's one reason why well known people have been hesitant to come out and say that they're doing this like sell directly versus sending it to the real real versus stylists have always taken people's clothing and given it to consignment stores always I paid $200 for this acne wool coat, which is very low. 
And I was thinking about it and I like it, but I, you know, you can just kind of tell. Sometimes it's just that unspoken element or you just know in your head. Um, but it's a huge problem in fashion. Uh, and it's it's emblematic of our desire to have status symbols and not pay for them. Uh, and a lot of times goes to show that we want the label and not the actual item. I mean, a lot of this stuff is very much out of people's reaches. And so it says a lot about you know luxury fashion, how we signal status symbols, how we tell other people that we are fashionable, that we have money. And it's incredibly enticing. I will admit, I bought fake stuff before knowingly, and I didn't feel so bad about it. Yeah, I the sweatshirt is is still with me. Uh, I will say for the record, and they probably have to deal with this a lot, so I'm not, you know, I, I don't feel personally ignored, but I did message grailed the, the company twice. The first time was when the Canada thing happened where I'm like, whoa, I think I just paid for something. You know, you've taken my money and it didn't come to me. And then I messaged them again when I finally got the sweatshirt and was like, I don't think this is real. Never heard back from, from grailed either time, even just a canned response, nothing. So this is one of those things where I was like, yeah, I should have known better and I'm on my own. Well, and they're trying to save their asses legally. So basically, what are your protections? What is Grailed is billing itself like, uh oh, these are, you know, these are third party. This is not, you know, condoned by Grailed. A lot of these, whether, so the real real is the only one with in-house authentication. But if you're selling on a Tradesy, you're selling on a Grailed, you're selling on a Depop, uh, you're selling on Vestaire, uh, in those situations, those sites absolve themselves, but they also have codes of conduct. Um, so like, as I had said before, I got thrown off Poshmark once for trying to do deals in the comments and like pay people offline on PayPal. Same thing will happen if you're, if you're being flagged for a fake, uh, and your account will be shut down or to get it reinstated, you're going to have to go through a lot of measures. But again, it's this giant game of whack-a-mole. Um, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Anything that you want can be faked and it's incredibly enticing. And so these sites don't really have protections. Uh, I think it's a huge question in the industry. They're always trying to crack down on fakes because where's the money going? So that's one huge issue with the fake industry, uh, the fake handbag, fake clothing. I've seen some of these dark websites where like, I mean, anything, Gucci comes out with something one week and the next week it is on the site. It is unbelievable. I don't totally understand it. I have heard uh, that in certain instances, Sometimes it's all fake and sometimes it is the actual factories where these items are being made and they are shutting them down at night and then there's this whole sort of second shift uh, that is paying off people to continue to produce these things and then they get sold sort of on the, on the underbelly. Yeah, I mean it doesn't surprise me considering there's just there's just so much of it. You know, you can't just you can't just like create a warehouse it, it takes it takes quite a bit of machinery and 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 manpower and that sort of thing well and in asia where a lot of these fakes are coming from china especially is known for uh fake things in general i had a friend who wrote a book her name is bianca bosker about the like fakes in china talking about like fake cities like fake everything like just the ability the manpower the money and the space to just replicate things and one of the issues in the industry is fakes are getting so good. Like, again, it's this whack-a-mole game that not only do brands have to start 
figuring out how they're going to deal with this, but also they have to figure out how we're going to, you know, get better and better at authenticating items. So, for example, in China, the Louis Vuitton fakes, so there are different levels of fakes, and it's all coded language, and I've learned some of it over the years, but, you know, it goes by, like, quality grades. So there's A, AA, and AAA. I believe that is what it currently stands at. Again, whack-a-mole, it's always changing. But like AAA is the highest level fake. And to my understanding, the the AAA Louis Vuitton fakes in China are higher quality than the actual Louis Vuitton bags. And thus, people in China buy the fake ones instead. I am a straight size woman, which means that, you know, I'm a size four or size six. And so I'm afforded some of these styles uh, just because of lack of stretch and like a certain size range, I can wear them. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that everyone cannot. It's a look. It's a yeah. look. It's well, it's and a- I think for, for, for me, it's like, I don't know many guys who would have my waist size, but I could get, I could have some fun with belts and, and use the style to my advantage. Totally. And for you, who's a very small size, like there are just vintage women's Levi's that have always been straight leg. I mean, they don't have to be Levi's. There's a spree. There's I'm trying to think of other like denim, you know, older denim brands, Jordash, like like really throwbacks. It's not all Levi's. There's a lot of different great vintage secondhand denim that you can play around with. You you can buy boys, Sarah. You could buy women, small women's sizes. Again, with, with secondhand denim, you really have to poke around. I was in a Goodwill in Pittsburgh, uh, which is where my grandma used to live uh, before she passed away. And I remember buying a pair of, I think they were women's, secondhand Levi's but you really just have to try them on that's the deal none of these are necessarily expensive go to a vintage store poke around it can be frustrating because they have no stretch a lot of them are button fly um, which is an older thing that was like basically standard and sometimes when I wear all my button fly like vintage ones like the two buttons at the bottom just pop out and it's just (laughs) you know it's a look. <laughs> it's a look. It's also, and this goes for, well, this goes for new jeans too, because as you said, no two jeans are always exactly alike, even if you know your size and you know your style and you know what you're looking for. I've definitely found that to be true over the years. And with vintage denim, I can imagine it's so much more the case. And you know, you ever hold up a pair and you're like, yeah, this isn't going to fit me. They either, I can tell that they're too big or the butt's weird or they're, I can tell that they're too small, but you try them on anyway. And often you're right and you look horrible and that that's the end of that. But every so often I'll be like, oh, no, these are good. They didn't look good off of me, but they look really good on. Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants was on to something is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, so that's that's a lot about vintage denim. Selling vintage denim, you get almost no money unless they're redone or like a special collaboration. For me, when I'm done with those vintage jeans, I will sustainably recycle them, donate them or give them to people. Uh, I remember there was this, this uh, young woman who worked in a consignment store who I just thought she was the coolest. She's going to be a major fashion force and I was like hey this might be super weird but I have another amazing pair of secondhand like vintage denim she was like oh I really want a pair of redone I was like screw redone like let me do you one better I have a pair of vintage jeans from Paris that won't ever fit me you're smaller than I am do you want them and she was like yeah okay um so give them to friends donate them you get very very little money 
Um, you'll get a little bit at like a Buffalo exchange, but just know that they're not expensive to buy and you don't get a lot to sell them. Um, a lot of people have made like mini businesses of this on eBay or on Etsy or on Poshmark. But again, because they are so hyper particular to you and your body um, and they're all different, that also makes them extremely difficult to sell, at least online. Thread Up, which is uh, a secondhand site where you send in your clothing, they give you these big bags and you don't make much money, but they have basically a huge thrift store online, puts out a study every year that I want to read some statistics from about sort of the rise of the conscious consumer. Now, disclosure, this is from ThreadUp. Uh, so this is the company's research. However, let's let's talk a little bit about what they've seen. Sustainability moved from perk to priority. In 2013, only 57% of consumers uh, preferred to buy from environmentally friendly brands, aka ones that consider how much water you're using, um, power, electricity, gas, fuel, waste. We'll talk about waste in a second. Now that's up to 72% in, in 2018. Uh, and so there's also a statistic they have here that 74% of 80, 18 to 29-year-olds prefer to buy from sustainably conscious brands. It's just moving to the forefront of everyone's shopping habits more than ever before. Yeah, I think I think most folks, sure, there's going to be some folks who say, I don't care. But most folks, as long as they're informed, oh, company A does it this way, but company B does it a better way. And for the most part, the, 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 the items are of similar value and, and made the same way, then of course you're going to go with B because you want to be a good person. Yeah, and I think that, you know, for me personally, for a long time, consignment and, and buying secondhand was about being able to wear designer clothing for less money. And I, it's only until the past couple of years where I realized, you know, how good it was for the environment. I mean, it is the most sustainable way to shop. And we talk a lot about you know, reducing plastic, which is incredibly important. You know, we have a whole straw debate going on water usage, you know, cars and their emissions, but also understanding that you have a chance to really make a sustainable difference by by shopping resale is something that somehow we don't talk about as much. You know, it's interesting that this whole ecosystem that you're explaining still does depend on those people who buy things new for top dollar, right? So that they get into the mix. So if you and I never bought anything new for the rest of our lives, then, you know, we could say, well, you know, we're, we're, we, we, we've definitely helped the environment, but somebody's got to keep giving us the pool of the cool stuff that we want at a discount price. Yeah. I mean, this thread up study talks a lot about how, you know, other factors like Marie Kondo and owning less, also, just even more about the explosion of this overall secondhand marketplace and economy, which is one reason why it never gets old, exists. And ThreadUp talks about sort of by 2028, they estimate that secondhand is expected to grow more than two times, 200% in the next 10 years, and is on track to make up one third of closets by 2033. So, so what we're presenting also is, so we have fast fashion. Fast fashion is trendy, quick stuff with a quick turnaround. H and M, Forever Twenty One, Zara, uh, and we all we all shop it, but it it is very very bad for the environment. We have made too much stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I hear fast fashion, yeah, I think, well, I think fast food, which is not a terrible comparison to make, right? No. It's, it's cheap, it's easy, but it's kind of shitty, and you know it, but there are, there are reasons that I'm in Forever 21 every so often, for sure, and I walk out, you know, with three items that I've spent $11 on, and I feel great. Well, you know, I'm not a perfect consumer either. All of my socks are from Forever 21. I happen to think they have fantastic socks, and they're $1.90. As streetwear has proliferated, which streetwear will be several different episodes, as this idea of being more comfortable is okay, whether you're working out or not, like how many times, like first of all, sports wear is like half the battle, but like a lot of times you're wearing leggings and you don't end up working out, it's just what you're wearing. So that's where sort of athleisure really started to bleed into just clothing we wear and you look at like how celebrities are capitalizing on that how many brands are capitalizing on that I mean I'm not a huge fan of the Kardashians anymore I find them just to be too much all the time but I do remember when Khloe Kardashian got very serious into fitness um she had a really cool thing which she did it she has a workout clothes closet and it looks like a different like it looks like any other celebrity closet like all the cool pairs of sneakers are lined up all the yoga pants and like outfits are like done by color you know like it was really cool looking and it was like oh this is a luxury closet and that is crazy because what you're talking about is is what used to be sweatpants and a t-shirt yeah I think athleisure it's two things to me now it's at least if you want to participate in the whole movement of athleisure, it's number one, motivating. I know for me, if I get like a cute new Adidas sports bra and it's got cool straps on the back, you know, and you can kind of see them poking out of, you know, my, my racer back uh, tank top. I'm like motivated to wear it and go like run around. At the same time, it's also acceptable to like maybe go to not even that casual of a place for brunch wearing a head-to-toe athleisure outfit, and people go like, yeah, that's a pretty sharp dresser. That just did not used to happen. And so it's like it's like a double win. Totally. And I think that it is that former reason that it makes you feel like you feel, you know, a little bit better and like you want to run around that is what this industry is really banking on. I definitely felt the same way as you did, which was that, you know, oh, you know, you're just working out. And then I remember Lululemon came on the scene and... I have had a bunch of different Lululemon in my life. I have never bought it firsthand, uh, except one time. I bought a pair of like very, you know, $100 whatever leggings they were, and I I, I did that. But aside from that, I've always bought them secondhand. Um, and this is one of those things, again, someone was asking me last week, she was saying how much her daughter loved Lululemon, and I said, well, you know, that is the thing that sells best on every resale site. And I want you to know, like, a lot of this athleisure stuff is really expensive. Um, when I first saw the prices of Lululemon, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. And as a result, I have great athleisure. I have outdoor voices. I have some Lululemon, though I've sold a lot of it. Some awesome, you know, Nike, other like Stella McCartney and does a really great collaboration with Adidas for fun workout clothes. I have never bought any of those firsthand. And um, I'm going to get into sort of what that looks like and how you can find that for yourself. These all vary so intensely differently. Like there's stuff that I think, and with the t-shirts that look really cute, 
on a hanger and then you try them on and they are super duper tight. Everything's gonna run really small. Uh, they're mostly men's sizes. It's hard to tell. A lot of them are just unisex t-shirts. So what you're gonna have to do is just take it on a case by case basis. And I'm at the point now where I can eyeball a lot of things, but like, again, I'm like 20 years deep in this and 13 years deep in my collection. So you can look at them online. There are a ton on Poshmark. There are a ton on eBay. There are a ton of other, like Etsy has a ton of great vintage t-shirts, but you gotta look at those measurements. You have to really look at them. And so like that's baseline, 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 and go to a place that isn't as overwhelming. Sometimes like I don't have it in me to piece through all the t-shirts uh, wherever they are, and I don't wanna deal with it. But I have a lot of great insider tips and things I've picked up on how to find the best vintage t-shirts while also not having to like paw through things for six hours. Okay, so I've got the basics, but it is just a t-shirt after all. Q1, Q1. But what are the other signifiers that uh, make it cooler than just a t-shirt? It's never just a t-shirt. It's never just a t-shirt. All right, so the biggest vintage t-shirt hack is you can tell you want something that's super worn and super soft. Like you don't... The whole point of a vintage t-shirt is that it looks quite worn, that you can tell just by looking at it that it had a previous life. That's the point. And one indicator that is always helpful is checking out the collar. You can almost go through the whole rack just by looking at the collar and seeing how worn the collar is. The more worn the collar, the better condition, and by I mean better condition, I mean worse condition of the shirt. So that is one of the absolute telltale signs. Then the inside tag, if it's not kind of faded, it's not vintage enough, in my opinion, if it's still there at all. I have this incredible, Sarah, you know, the, uh, I guess it was what, the Pep Brothers, the like oil changer or whatever. Pep Boys. Pep Boys. Yep. Um, so I have this incredible shirt. It's one of the few I've bought the online. Pep Brothers. <laughs> Meredith, how old are you? <laughs> so... I guess I guess you're kind of one of those people who doesn't have a car. But that's like the major difference between a California girl like you and an East Coast, you know, <laughs> subway run, you know, walking lady like me. So there was this incredible, I mean, Pep Boys has been around for a really long time. And I bought this very unique shirt that's the Pep Girls. It was basically, they got sued for it. And I don't know who did it. It was like a, it was a satire or making fun of the company. And the shirt's from like the 60s or the 70s. I, again, will upload a photo. It's super cool. But the point is, is like, you want to find something super unique. You want to look through the collar. If you're buying it online, the way you can tell that it is the right amount of see-through is you ask the person to hold it up to the light. And oh, you can okay. Like, we are inspecting very serious materials here, Sarah. This is very deeply serious to me. So if you're really dealing with someone who knows how to sell vintage t-shirts and you're looking online, which, as I said, like, it's harder to find them online, I have always had better success with ones I've bought IRL, is it being held up to the light and you put your hand in the shirt. So if you you don't want to buy it if you can't see the hand through the shirt because it's not it's not soft enough and it's not used enough. It's just not. Well, I have completely lost my mind when it comes to candles. So, I don't know why it took me 32 years 
for that to happen. Mm -hmm. I feel like many people have been into nice candles for a long time. They're something that is really fun to buy and to light on fire and they smell nice. But I was never like, I was like, oh, those fancy candles, those are so dumb. Y'all are such boobs for paying 60 bucks for a candle. I'm just going to go to TJ Maxx and like buy all these other candles. And uh, for a long time I did that and... I didn't even buy them ever. I was like, if it's over $5, it's not happening. And I'm trying to think, so what started my descent into candle madness? And I'm going through my likes on Poshmark. I'll talk uh, some of the brands I've been just like uh, getting really into. But one of the classic fancy candle brands is Diptyque. They're out of Paris. You know, I've been to their stores in Paris and I'm just kind of like, it's smelly. Like for for me too, I sometimes will get, you know, fragrance migraines. So you got to be really careful with the way stuff smells. But it's funny because even in France, the stuff is not that much less. Though the last time I was in a diptyque store in Paris, I walked out and ran into Timothée Chalamet. So that was rad. Diptyque is sort of one of the these gold standard brands fine. I was like, mm, those are stupid. Those are expensive. It's just a bunch of wax. So then I guess, I don't remember why I was looking at them on Poshmark. So just so you know, listeners, uh, candles secondhand are an enormous market. If you are someone that likes them, if you're someone that like wants to test some of them out, get into them, not necessarily expensive ones, like, you know, even, you know, gold standard uh, Yankee candle, like classic, classic candles, they're a really, really, really common secondhand object. Um, I think it's because people buy them impulsively and then when they're cleaning, like, I don't know, when you move, when you're cleaning stuff out, like you get rid of stuff like that all the time. And actually, again, it has value. So if you have extra candles laying around, you can totally sell those. And candles are also one of the most obvious gifts. Like, oh, housewarming or it's your birthday or, you know, something that's like eh, not super personal, probably won't break the bank, but a nice gift. I have lots of candles that I have carted around with me for years that I don't even really, I don't, I was about to say turn on. I don't ignite them. But they're like, they were like a nice gift. But it's the sort of thing that I could part with and it wouldn't, it wouldn't really bother me that much. Totally. So in thinking about uh, if you've never sold them on the internet, you completely can. I have never had enough of them around to sell. I think I've thrown out some really nice candles. Because um, I'm like, nah, whatever, it's wax. Anyway, I will eat crow because now I have a problem. I have ordered six candles in the past six weeks, all on Poshmark. So I guess this started when I found two small diptyque candles that were two for $20, which is extremely low. Like even the little guys are like 35 bucks. So that was like, you know, $70 worth of candle for $20. And I bought them and I lit them and I was like, oh, this is so nice. I'm so fancy. Like I've convinced myself that they smell better than less expensive candles, which is 100% false. And I just sit around with my candles turned on and feel like a fancy lady. You can find us online at ingopodcast.com. There you'll learn more about me, your host, Meredith Feynman, my producer, Sarah Lane, as well as links to episodes, links to our social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at ingopodcast. 
feel free to slide into the DMs. It's been so fun to see an uptick in requests and questions, and I try to answer as many of them as I can. So you can always shoot us an email as well at hello at ingopodcast.com, and we'll see you in 2020. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.